You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, this end-of-season podcast was supposed to be a look back, but I think we're kind of forced to look ahead now because there will be a new manager for 2022. I'll read you the press release in a minute, but the departure of Luis Rojas isn't exactly a holy cow moment. Remember in Anchorman when Luke Wilson gets his other arm sliced off at the San Diego Zoo and he says, I did not see that coming. Well, I think we all kind of saw the managerial change coming, but still it does represent change and it gives us a chance to scuttle the whole season and review thing till a week from now, not to mention a chance to play that funky music one more time. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh yeah, Mets in the morning Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing While coffee is brewing now Here's Josh Lewin Lay down that boogie and play that funky music till I die Or some such Josh Lewin with you The Luis Rojas era has officially ended And we will discuss So we will also do a little looking back And quite a bit of craning our necks and trying to figure out what's next, hopefully without pinching a nerve. The press release from Monday afternoon read in part, The New York Mets today announced the club will not pick up the option on manager Luis Rojas for the 2022 season. In addition, decisions regarding the remaining coaching staff will be made over the next several days. The Mets have offered Rojas the opportunity to remain in the organization in a yet-to-be-determined capacity. The entire Mets organization is grateful for the dedication and devotion that Luis has exhibited over the last two seasons as manager, said President Sandy Alderson. He has shown a great commitment to the Mets over many years in multiple capacities. These decisions are never easy, but we feel a change is needed at this time. Steve Cohen tweeted, as is his want, uh, he tweeted, We want to thank Luis for his good work as manager. He is a good man who represented the Mets with dignity and calm, during two extremely trying years. Now that is extremely true and very well said. Final numbers for the skipper, who turned 40 years old last month. 103 wins, 119 losses. That's a winning percentage of 464, which clocks in at 12th of the 22 men who have been called a manager of the New York Mets. In last place, by the way, for winning percentage, the guy that had his number retired, Casey Stengel. Miracle Mets of 69 is claimed to fame, but... 22nd of 22 managers in Mets history in terms of winning percentage. Hardly his fault those first few years. 18th on the list of 22 is Joe Torre, also a Hall of Famer like Casey Stengel. Only 6 of 22 Mets managers got out of here with a winning record, including Mickey Calloway, by the way, by two games. Davey Johnson, number 1 for winning percentage. Willie Randolph, number 2. Bobby V, number 3. Rojas ends up 12th, just percentage points behind Terry Collins. Now, there was definitely a case for keeping Luis Rojas, who, remember, only got the job because Carlos Beltran was asked to leave before the 2020 season even began. Here are the, the things I would tell you. The players definitely liked and respected Luis Rojas. There were a lot of factors out of his control. I mean, he was not responsible for Jacob deGrom's many injuries or the injuries to Lindor, Conforto, McNeil, Nimmo, etc., uh, he did his finest work in the toughest times. That's a, a check in the box, so to speak. When the Mets were without so many starters, 
That's when they were winning games. The makeshift Mets were more successful than the Mets that we expected on the field. Somehow, Luis kept the clubhouse together during all that. He put his players in position to succeed. All of that kind of falls in that uh, area of, hey, why not give the guy a shot? But the bottom line is the Mets underachieved. And this is a results business. And when a team doesn't play well, the question is always, who's in charge here? Well, the answer was Luis Rojas. The Mets want to hire a president of baseball operations now. There will be a new general manager under him. New bosses want to make their own hires because they don't want their own fates to be decided by somebody that somebody else brought in. Rojas was hired not one, but two regimes ago. So a fresh start, I just think, makes a lot of sense. Who will this new manager be? I don't know. I mean, if Billy Bean is the new HMIC, head met in charge, you could do worse than buying a companion fare on the airplane for Bob Melvin when you're winging your way east. Uh, If it's not that route, a veteran like Buck Showalter or Bruce Bochy, uh, an up-and-comer like a Joe McEwing or Mark Kotze, what does a Kotze? And what will a new manager be in charge of? What is this team going to look like when spring training comes around, assuming it actually does come around on time because you've got the collective bargaining agreement expiring December 2nd? There are definitely things that have to happen for 2022. And I kind of hinted at this, but the Mets have got to find a way to stay healthier because injuries just torpedoed the Mets, any chances they had in 2021. The Mets were one of three teams to lose 2,000 or more player days to the IL this year. And they were the team really most diminished because they lost 14 wins above replacement value uh, to injury this season. The Dodgers next at 12 and a half. Jacob deGrom, the biggest casualty, of course. You go back to early May, looked like he was bound for just a legendary, epic season with a Cy Young. Maybe even uh, MVP laurels loaded into the chute. Then the injuries took hold and just would not let go. And he wasn't the only one, of course. He was just the most notable one. But whether this is simple misfortune or some level of, uh, I don't want to say incompetence, but uh, some level of things not going well, on the part of the uh, the training staff or some combination of those things, the Mets just don't have the roster depth to withstand the injuries at the rate they were happening this past year. And that's been a Mets thing for a long time, as you know. So whatever's driving that needs to change. Don't think this is a Mets thing, though, and happening in some weird trip to the emergency room vacuum. Because not even counting players who landed on the COVID-19 IL this year, the number of player placements on injured lists all around baseball up by about 37% this past year compared to the two previous full seasons. The average team used the IL 32 times this year. That's up from about 23 times in 2019. Recurring injuries, a huge issue. We saw that with DeGrom. I know every injury was a little different. They're they're all snowflakes. They're not quite all alike. But heading into the final weekend of the season, it was 216 different players that had multiple visits to the IL this year. And that averages out to about seven, seven and a half per team. A couple years ago, it was four per team when you're talking about guys going back and double dipping on the IL or triple dipping, or in Jacob's case, quadruple dipping. So for your average GM, president of baseball ops, when you're managing a roster, it's like whack-a-mole. I mean, it's just one problem popping up after another. At one point, This was in mid-July, just after the All-Star break. 295 different players on the IL at the same time. That's about 10 per team. 
way above the peaks from 18 and 19. That's uh, You're looking at basically 85 extra missing players across the sport at that highest spike, 85 more than what you had in 18 and 19. Teams had to use the IL just for pitchers 534 times this year. That's up 44% from 2019 and 2018. So the math works out to about 18 pitchers headed for the IL per team. And again, for the Mets, the fact that it was DeGrom and Syndergaard taking up residence there for so darn long, that was just huge. So back to where the Mets are going here. Got to find the best possible baseball ops guy, Epstein, Bean, or something in between. Uh, This is a really big hire coming up. The Mets this past winter, without uh, really knowing that they had a, a permanent GM in place, they didn't as it turned out, they signed some notable free agents, James McCann, Jonathan VR, Taiwan Walker, Trevor May, Aaron Loop, Marcus Stroman. Uh, they actually tendered him a qualifying offer, which he thankfully accepted. Steve Cohen said, let's go with Francisco Lindor all the way here. Carlos Carrasco came into Queens. And, you know, you go back to prior ownership. The Wilpon family's final two seasons, they uh, had the Mets ranked 10th and 9th in opening day payroll. Steve Cohen's first season, they were fifth, and that is not even counting the deadline additions of Baez and and Rich Hill. So, you know, early in his tenure, uh, the owner pledged to invest levels more in line with the Mets being number one in all of North America in terms of market, which the Wilpons decidedly did not do. So far, the new owner has done that, full marks awarded for that, and now some related questions coming off that. Should the Mets extend a qualifying offer to Michael Conforto? Now, he's likely to reject the QO, as it's called. And hey, if he signs elsewhere, the Mets get a compensatory draft pick in return. If he does accept the QO, I love saying that, the Mets have a talented, familiar outfielder on a short-term deal. That's a good outcome, too. Should the Mets extend the old QO to Noah Syndergaard? Noah has said he'd be extremely grateful if one is coming. So it sounds like he would accept one. And the Mets might be able to resign him for less than the Standard 19 to 20 million for one season, but probably not that much less. Maybe one year 15 million if we're using past contracts for guys coming off Tommy John surgery as a guide. Remember, the Mets have the 11th pick in next year's draft as compensation for not signing Kumar Rocker. They've also got the 14th pick because of where they finished this year. Now, a team that signs a free agent who rejected a qualifying offer forfeits its second draft pick, no matter where that pick is. For most teams, that's the second round pick around like you know 70th or something like that it's not that big of a deal for the Mets that's going to be number 14 and number 14 picks of the past have been guys like Cliff Floyd Jason Veritek Jason Hayward Aaron Hicks Tino Martinez so should that dissuade the Mets from going after free agents that have a qualifying offer attached not necessarily but it's a factor when I mean, you look at a guy like a, a Marcus Simeon or a Carlos Correa or Trevor Story or the Robbie Ray or Carlos Rodon. Uh, those guys, you got to pay all that money and you lose whoever that number 14 pick would have been. So maybe you're looking for guys that will not be as complicated on the free agent market. Javi Baez, Marcus Stroman, Chris Bryant, take two, uh, Kyle Schwarber, Kevin Gossman, Starling Marte, who I personally would love to see in the outfield next year. And let's not forget some existing Mets free agents. Got to talk about Jairus Familia, Aaron Loop, and Jonathan VR. So let's do that in that order. Familia, for all but two and a half months of his decade-long big league career, he's been a Met. He came in as a 16, 17-year-old international signing in 07. 
when he was coming up through the system, it was you'd hear talk about Matt Harvey and Zach Wheeler and Familia. It was supposed to be a starter. Dylan G kind of hopped ahead of him to be a starter, so he got bumped back to be a bullpen guy. Uh, he's not the guy with the 94 saves in 2015 and 16 anymore. Had a 2.2 ERA back then. But this year, he had a strikeout rate of about 11 per nine innings. That's a career high. Cut down his walk rate, but home runs have been a problem for him of late, to be quite honest here. He's a week shy of his 32nd birthday right now. He still throws that sinker in the upper 90s. That's very appealing. He has a year-round home in northern New Jersey. I think he'd like to come back. I wouldn't mind seeing him back if the price is right. Aaron Loop. Oh, please come back. Oh, pounder of the bush lights and wearer of the camouflage. By the way, yeah, he wears camo and he's a left-handed reliever, but no, that doesn't make him Randy Myers, who kept grenades in his locker. (laughs) That was normal. Loop had two different months with a zero ERA. No Met who stayed healthy all year had ever turned that trick before. Season ERA of .95 means yes, he should get paid, but no, we shouldn't expect to cut and paste for 2022. 2.95 would still be, in the words of Borat, very nice. Very nice. I haven't done my Borat in like 10 years. Uh, VR. Let's talk VR just for a second. Utility guy who's had a 24 home run season and a 62 steal season, although not together. I'm down. Uh, he's 30 years old, not 40 years old. 740 OPS this year was higher than Lindor's and San Diego's Eric Hosmer, to name a couple of former All-Stars who are breaking bank. So uh, you turning back to the pitching just for a second. The fact that you need the depth of Lake Tahoe to get through it these days. The number of pitchers who appeared in a big league game this season was 850. 20 years ago, that number was 550. So when you hear people say these days, there's never enough pitching, that's not technically true because big league teams found 850 people able to do it this year, although some of them not very well. Uh, Until this year, only two teams ever had used 40 or more pitchers in a season. Well, five teams did it in 2021. The Mets did it. The Orioles did it. Diamondbacks, Rays, and Angels all did it. Ten years ago, only one team in baseball even used 30 pitchers. This year, 25 teams did that. So I am all about pitching depth, all about finding a way to keep those arms healthy. But let's not gloss over the hitting since we're talking about what's next. The Mets offense is ranked 7th, 7th, and 13th in the National League and runs per game the last three years. So it's kind of getting easier and easier to look at what happened late in 2019 as a, a bit of an outlier. I love what Tim Britton said in The Athletic when he wrote his column a couple days ago. He said, if you put each current Mets best season together on one team, you would have a total juggernaut. Put all their worst seasons together, you would have uh, the 2021 New York Mets. The Mets ranked 29th in the majors in catchers OPS this past year, 24th in left field, 24th at second base, 25th in right field. Those are positions you can upgrade, fellas, and I would not do the Snoopy cry if you did that, where the, the Snoopy cries, where the tears shoot out in big arcs in each direction like rainbows. Although, point of order, I always loved watching that on those Charlie Brown TV specials when Snoopy would just go, Mwah. Am I way off line and off base here? I probably, I gotta get back here. All right, shortstop uh, is gonna be fine. Lindor struggled in his first season. We know that, but outside of Pete Alonso, uh, a lot of guys struggle in their first season in New York. Pete hit 53 home runs as a rookie. Not everybody just steps right into New York and says hello, and everything goes great. He, meaning Alonzo, he was a guy that absolutely held his own this year. 37 home runs and all of that. 
We know Conforto did not. We know McNeil did not. Those guys both suffered hamstring injuries on the same day in May. They never really got going after that. We know Brandon Nimmo was elite this year when healthy, but he was limited to 90 games. J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith were both benched. I think Dom is a candidate to to say goodbye here. Uh, The players whose youth offered so much in terms of promise a couple years ago, the McNeils, the Smiths, um, you know, those guys are are two years older now and didn't get better. And uh, I'm just putting that out there. I'm not saying they should not come back. I'm not saying I don't love them. But I think that's for the new regime to really dive into and dive into intelligently, trying to figure out who are these people, in, in the words of a certain comedian. If Jeff McNeil is really the Jeff McNeil of 19 and 20, sure, bring him back. If Dom Smith is the 2020 Dom Smith, I'm all for that. But I don't know. Do you? Do you really feel like we know who a lot of these guys are even after we've seen them for a long time? going to be really interesting, some of these decisions that have to be made. Anyway, next week, want to tell you, we're going to have our award show. Michael Scott had the Dundies on The Office. I think we should have the, uh, I don't know what to call it yet, the Mets in the Morning Ease. I've always wanted to host an award show. I got a tux and everything. Probably doesn't fit anymore. Next week, uh, I think we can make that dream come true. Uh, not that you can see it, but I will I will wear the tux. And meantime, want to thank you guys, as always, for listening to this podcast. I love being able to, to bring this to you. And love having a house band. Uh, who else in, in podcasting has a house band? We're, we're so lucky here. On keyboards, on this particular version, Eric Valent, slapping to bass, Dennis Cook, the horn section, Mark Carrion, and that downbeat from the drums provided by Jermaine Allensworth. This is Josh Lewin. Appreciate you listening. We'll be back again in a week. And every week this offseason, we'll have a little something-something for you. Again, next week, we'll hand out some hardware. Take care. And, hey, I hope Luis Rojas does come back in some capacity. Really good dude. His team just didn't do very well this past year. See you guys. Bye.